Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 18, Humuro Mansion. I'm going to beg the indulgence of anyone who is listening to this. There is a fair chance that if this is the first episode of this podcast that you are listening to, you found it due to the specific subject of today's episode. That is, you likely found it because you were looking for things related to the computer game Fatal Frame. I will discuss that, but please stick with me until I get there. This is primarily a ghost story podcast. In a rocky area on the outskirts of Tokyo, there is a large house, a mansion of traditional design that hosts many malevolent spirits due to its dark history. Legend holds that the Humuro family, who owned and lived in the house, had a gruesome responsibility. Every 50 years, they had to perform an ancient and occult Shinto ritual that involved raising a woman in secret to prevent her from forming attachments to others, and then, Late in the year, she was to be brought to an elemental seal from which evil forces might enter the world, and where each limb and her neck were tied to oxen, who then pulled the woman apart. The last woman to be killed, sometime in the last eighty years, somehow came into contact with a young man with whom she fell in love. Her feelings for the young man essentially negated the sacrifice, and so the members of the Himuro family who were responsible for the ritual became distraught. Taking a traditional sword, the patriarch murdered his entire family, feeling their death by the sword was preferable to the evil that he believed was coming. Since then, people have reported a wide variety of weird happenings at or near the house. Apparitions of family members have been seen both at night and in broad daylight. Bloody handprints and sprays of blood, as if from a cut made by a sword, mysteriously appear on the walls. There are those who claim that visitors to the house will see specters, and that the visitors may be stalked by these malevolent spirits, and often attacked. People who enter the house are occasionally found dead, with rope marks on their arms and legs indicating that they had been bound and pulled. And there are those who say that, if you walk onto the grounds of the house, you will be cursed and something dark will follow you the rest of your days. In addition, there are three smaller houses on the same property that had some connection to the ritual. They were connected both to one another and to the mansion itself through underground tunnels, but it is not known who built the tunnels. If you search on the internet, you can find a few photos that may be the house, but nobody knows for certain. There is no official record or newspaper accounts detailing the murder of the family by the patriarch. There is absolutely nothing to indicate that the house officially exists, and even those who claim to have visited it often report that they're not sure that this was the Hermuro mansion as opposed to another house. But, the believers say, such information might be kept hidden, and, who knows, 
Perhaps records were lost during the war. What is the truth of Homero Mansion? Well, in order to learn that, you'd have to be persistent and clever enough to find the house, and foolish enough to go visit. But if you managed that, you are likely to wish that you had not. Commentary Back in 2009, my wife and I took a trip to Japan to visit an old friend who was living in Asia. As I tend to do when I travel, I began to look into the ghost stories of Japan. I found many traditional stories and a few more modern tales noted by those with an interest in the paranormal and the like. In the process, I kept coming across references to Homuro Mansion, and the impression that I got was that it was essentially the Japanese equivalent of England's famous haunted house, the Borley Rectory. As I got further into researching the story, though, the differences between the Homuro Mansion and other famous haunted houses became rather stark. The tale behind this haunted house story is an interesting one, but it takes a bit to get to the truth of the matter, and a bit longer still to get to why the story is interesting to me. Let's start with the name. Himuro is a Japanese word meaning ice house or cold room, sometimes translated as refrigerator, and when I originally wrote an entry for this on a blog that I used to keep, I had read that Himuro is a common Japanese name, much like Smith would be in English. But on reviewing this story for this podcast, I was unable to confirm that. There are certainly people with the name Himuro. I could find examples of it being both a personal name and a family name, and a whole lot of fictional characters named Himuro, but I could not find enough to support the claim that it is a very common name. However, I don't claim enough knowledge of Japanese culture to really offer an educated opinion on the matter. Regardless, there is something rather dire sounding about the ice house or cold room mansion. Learning this did make this story seem a bit creepier. Then we get to the location of the house. While the locations of most allegedly haunted houses are known, nobody seems to know where Homuro Mansion is. Plenty of people claim to have found it, and there is no shortage of photos and websites claiming to be the mansion, some of which are clearly stock photos and others are not. But the most you can find regarding its location is that it's located in a rocky area somewhere near Tokyo. This strikes me as odd, but it's also something that adds an extra bit of WTF to the story in a way that I really quite like. The story of how the mansion came to be haunted, however, seems so over the top that it struck me as obviously false. I've read many bits of ghostly folklore from all over the world, and most tales are, simply put, much simpler than this one. This just seemed too complex and with too many elements mashed on top of each other, with the ancient ceremony necessary to protect the world, the girls raised to adulthood in isolation, the random chance that one such girl broke through the isolation and got to know someone, that her love made her sacrificial death useless, and that this led to the family patriarch killing everybody in the house. It's all rather baroque. Most ghost folklore is either cleaner and more straightforward, or, if messy, still simpler. This struck me as having the same problems that I often see with Hollywood ghost story films. They layer on so many levels of dark and creepy that it just starts to seem a little bit silly. Still, 
I know little enough about Japanese culture that I thought I should look into it further. It may be that this is a common form for Japanese ghost stories to follow, for all I know. And that's how I eventually began stumbling across the last couple bits of information that made the whole thing clear. First, let's talk about the paper trail one would expect here. The house is said to be the site of a mass murder, with seven victims sometime in the last 80 years. It seems unlikely that A, there would be no police paper trail related to such an event, and B, that the location where this occurred, or was even rumored to occur, would remain hidden. If there's one thing that I've learned from my years of collecting ghost stories, it's that people across the world love to point out locations near them where the weird, dark, and strange have happened. Even if you were to claim that somehow the paperwork went missing or was destroyed, for example during World War II, which, while unlikely, is at least plausible, the notion that the people in the general area would keep quiet about it just doesn't ring true to me. People often keep quiet about the sacred and the private, but not generally about the creepy. Now, I've heard people say, the Japanese wouldn't keep such records, it would be taboo, and they would never speak of such things. To which I say, Japan is a modern nation in every sense of the word, and both the police and the newspapers are perfectly capable of, and have proven perfectly willing to, document a mass murder. Also, in the process of researching this story, I've encountered enough ghost stories from Japan centering on murder, some quite vile and some even tinged with religious elements, that the idea that this one story would be the exception where people would keep quiet about the location just seems absurd. So, that's why I doubt that the mansion and the murders are real. But the story is, I think, much more interesting than a simple hoax. The story of the Hamuro Mansion is the background for the video game Fatal Frame. Now, Fatal Frame was originally designed and released in Japan by Tecmo, and following its Japanese release, it was prepared for a North American release. By the time of its North American release, the tagline, based on a true story, had been added to the title. And the claim that the game was based on an actual story concerning a haunted house in Japan was circulated. The game's developers appear to have fed this rumor based on interview transcripts that I've seen bits of. The presence of the internet, probably the best tool for spreading false information and claiming rumor is true ever, made it easy to spread the story. And many people in both the video game and paranormal enthusiast communities shared the tale of the haunted house with others. Eventually, people began posting photos claiming to be from the mansion stating that they had found it. So what looks likely to me is that the notion that this is a real haunted house originated in North America, and only exists because it was part of a marketing campaign for a video game. As a result, we now appear to have an urban legend about events that allegedly happened in Japan, but the legend became something more than a video game backstory in the U.S., this was the first time I'd seen evidence of a ghost story originating this way, and I really dug it. Folklore can develop from a number of sources, and I hadn't expected a video game to be one of them, but I'm happy to see that it can be. Now, I'm not much of a video game player, so I thought that it'd be worthwhile to have someone who is more tied into the gamer community, and who had played this specific game, give his take on it. To that end, I would like to bring in James Tyner. I understand that you are a fan of the game, so uh, I wanted to have you tell us a bit about it so that uh, I'm not just talking out of my ass. Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about Fatal Frame. Um, just real quick, Fatal Frame, the, the, the first one was a, what's called a survival horror game. 
So let me talk a little bit about survival horror games. The, the, the big one, the, the most famous of all of them was Resident Evil. Uh, for those who don't know Resident Evil, you play as a, like a police officer, trooper type character, and there's sort of a zombie outbreak and you're surviving through this. And what was unique about that is there were very few horror games at that time. So Resident Evil kind of changed things. Uh, most games were superhero or action oriented or adventure oriented. And this is this was unique in the, te- in the sense that um, it was very horrific. It was awful. There's these zombies coming at you and zombie animals. And it's a very gothic setting. You're, you're stuck in this mansion as you're trying to get out as this zombie apocalypse is going on. The second one, uh, there's known as big three survival horror games. The, the other one I'll talk about very briefly was Silent Hill. Silent Hill is very similar to Resident Evil, but the thing with Silent Hill is that it's very supernatural, very paranormal, but there's a lot of mystery going on. You're not sure what's, there's literal fog surrounding everything. So as you're walking through a neighborhood, all you can see is this fog and weird graffiti and um, things slowly creep out at you. And you think what you see is a nurse, but she gets get close to something utterly horrific. But even so, you still had a weapon. So the thing about these main two games, um, Resident Evil and Silent Hill is that you had weapons. You can find guns or shotguns um, to protect yourself against these horrors. And that's where Fatal Frame was unique. It didn't have that. Uh, so my friends and I, we would get together, play this on the weekend. We would play all different types of games. But this one really stood out to us because, again, it, it, it was different. You're playing as a young girl, which was unique for that time, a young Japanese girl who's, I believe, if I remember right, she's looking for a brother or a, a sister at this house that's haunted and um, things unfold and you don't really see too much of it but there's a deeper story this about this ritual now about the game again as i said you didn't have weapons uh, so you would be getting hit by something or something's hurting you and as you would look through your camera then you could see that it was a ghost or something so it added this level of fear um you couldn't see it until you pulled out your camera so sometimes you if you're playing the game you would literally stop pull your camera up and just search now the game went off the, the the idea that some people believe that you know you can capture people's spirits or essences through camera. So that was the whole concept. You would use the camera to kind of kill the ghosts um, by taking pictures of them. You would hurt the ghosts until they would go away or, or something like that. But still, you felt very helpless. The game was also very noise driven. Um, so you might hear a squeak of a cat and there'd be nothing there, or a squeak of a cat and you turn and there is something there and it's it, it's horrific. It was also very claustrophobic. Once you get inside the house, there's these walls and wood paneling and you just never know what's around the corner. And it also gave it a sense of, of realism in a way that those other survival horror games didn't have. Again, even though it is fear-based, horror-based, at the end of the day, you still got a gun and a giant rocket launcher to protect yourself or whatever. Whereas this very much, you didn't have that and uh, it very up the ante. So in our opinion, that three of us have played, this was one of the scarier games because it was so unique. We played the first two games. There's several out now, I think up to five or six. But yeah, that was kind of our experience in, in you know, like I said, late 90s playing this game and, and just how different and unique it was. And it, it felt like, how can I say this? It felt like a ghost story playing it, like as if the people who made this game had taken notes on other stories and you were seeing bits and pieces of those. Like some of the jumps, I remember some of the ghosts very much touched on ghost stories. Um, at least that's how it felt. So one of the questions that I had before I started doing this podcast, I began collecting stories back around 2007 on a blog I used to keep. And I put up an entry about Homero Mansion because it was the story I kept coming across. After chasing it down, I came to the conclusion that I think that the story is a American story about Japan. The game I know was uh, first released by Tecmo in Japan and then later released in the U.S. And 
when they released it in the US, they tagged on based on a true story at the beginning of the game, which the Japanese release, from what I understand, did not have. You're right. So I wrote about the story on my blog and I discovered that people were angry that I didn't believe it was a real story and that I believed <laughs> it was created for marketing purposes and were extremely upset. And I got a range of responses, which ranged from conspiracy mongering claiming that you know everybody from the Japanese government and the US government to Google were conspiring to keep this haunted mansion hidden which is kind of bizarre to people who were insistent that you know well of course you'd find stuff that indicated that that's because the Japanese people you see are very superstitious and wouldn't talk about this like great we're going to racism cool (laughs) good on you guys stay classy to people who were simply insistent that I uh, didn't do my research because if I had, I would have come to the conclusion that this was all absolutely true, which I always found kind of interesting because when I would try to engage with them, it became pretty clear that they had played the game, but then not done any research. So (laughs) I'm curious, what do you think might've triggered that sort of reaction for this story when I wasn't getting it for other stories? That's a really interesting question. That's uh, it's pretty complicated too. There's a few things that I'll throw out and, you know, hopefully one of them will stick. Okay. But one of the things I do remember back in the day, after you had mentioned that based on a true story, um, I also remember over the years around that time, running into other players and them talking about, hey, did you know that there's a real ghost? There's like a, a, a story, kind of a um, urban legend that there was an actual ghost trapped in the game or whatever. Oh, really? that you could see in some of the inches. Yeah. And again, I I hadn't heard that. That's fantastic. So as if like, because the way it would look when you would see the ghost of the camera, they would kind of pop out almost, um, they would move at you almost like a picture and then kind of stop or fade away. So it almost looked like a still frame picture that would kind of rush out at you. And so there was a rumor that I'd heard more than once that there was a ghost trap. Now, if you played it, it it didn't look real at all. It was cool and it was scary, but, um, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say, you know, it looked like a ghost trap, but I always thought it was an interesting story. The other thing I'll throw out, it reminded me a lot at that time of the Blair Witch Project, uh, the movie, The Blair Witch Project. Oh, which would have come out around the same time. time. Yes. And the marketing for that was very much, this is a true story. This is found footage. This is real. And then a couple of days later, after the movie came out, then, you know, the, the producers admitted that it wasn't, it was just a marketing ploy. But I can tell you, having experienced opening night for Blair Witch, I haven't seen people cry or scream or run out of the theater like that with any other movie. Because people were at that moment mostly believing that that it was a real thing. It was an amazing experience. And so I tie that a little bit into this, especially, I mean, it was the early days of the internet, right? So communication was still kind of different and weird. And, you know, there's all these rumors and urban legends. And it added... I think it definitely added to the atmosphere and the aura of this game. Um, if there may be in the back of my head, maybe there was a ghost, you know, it, it just adds to that overall experience. So yeah, but it, it reminded me a lot of, of Blair Witch. Well, that's interesting. You've got an analog going on in the culture simultaneously. I, re- I remember when Blair Witch came out, there, the marketing for it was pretty brilliant. Yeah. Um, I actually remember the first I heard of it was they made a short pseudo documentary about the missing filmmakers that aired on, if I recall correctly, I think it was the sci-fi channel. And that was the first I heard of this film. And, uh, you know, I'm watching it and they did a very good job and, you know, they didn't oversell the supernatural elements as you're watching it. You're like, this could very easily be that people were just screwing with somebody in the woods and those people got lost or 
you know, something else happened. It doesn't have to be supernatural, but it was creepy. And I remember the, um, the sense of disillusionment that people expressed when they discovered that, nope, the whole thing was all a marketing ploy. (laughs) People were angry. Um, And so if you've got a story like this, where it's a little harder to prove that it wasn't based on a true story, I could see where that might cause people to want to really grab onto it and hold that because they'd been let down once and they didn't want to be let down again. I I never connected the release date of the game and and that film. It just never dawned on me, but that's interesting. I want to say it was within four years, five years, maybe even less. It's pretty pretty close if I remember right. Yeah, okay. One thing I found myself wondering is you and I are both tabletop role-playing gamers. And I know that the things that happen in those games, even though they're clearly fictional, can have a very strong sense of um, realness, for lack of a better word. There's a uh, religious study scholar, Joseph Laycock, who's actually argued that a large part of the reason why role-playing games were targeted by um, Protestant clergy during the satanic panic was Mm. that they could give players enough of a sense of reality while still clearly being fictional to the players that it could cause players to question whether or not the religious experiences they were happening might not be the same thing. So it wasn't so much that these games were satanic as that people might've been worrying that they were a little too close to religious experiences. And I've wondered if there's something similar maybe going on with Fatal Frame where it's really immersive. And so by having this immersive experience that makes you feel like you're there, if somebody comes by and says, yeah, but that was purely fictional, might make somebody um, feel as if you know their identity or their sense of what's happened to them may be being attacked, even if they can see that they were just playing a game. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. I, so let me go back a little bit. So if we talk again about Resident Evil, the, the, the big game of the survival horrors, again, very action. You got your guns or zombies, monsters. Mm-hmm. So there's that. It fills that niche. And then you have the other big one, which is Silent Hill. And the, Silent Hill is a brilliant game for those who've never played it. And it's essentially a person who's done something really bad. And the whole game is almost like his vision of hell or her vision of hell. And then dealing with this horrible thing that happened or that they did. And coming to terms with it and it's it's utterly brilliant very well written and so if you were a game maker at that time and you're going to make another game and there was many other survival horror games at that time and they were pretty bad there was a dinosaur driven one there there were some oh. <laughs> not good there were some not good ones um so how do you top that when you have you know the action of the one the brilliant writing and and, and moral moral themes going through the second uh, through silent hill so how could fatal frame get in here so I read this one piece, I think I read it a, a few years ago, or, or I can't remember, I, I came across it, kind of on how they were coming up with ideas for this game. And one of them, I guess they had a, a meeting with people in the room, the director um, and other people, and they were just telling, he wanted ideas. So he, he said, everybody, just tell me a ghost story. And he had everybody kind of tell ghost stories. And I guess a lot of the things that were told supposedly were tied into the final game. And it makes sense because it's not, it doesn't always feel like one full ghost story. It, there was like bits and pieces like, you know, oh, there's a woman in white. You could almost type to the, 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 you know, the lady in white stories or, or La Llorona mm-hmm. stories. And it felt like pieces like that. And it really added to um, the gameplay. I, and I think that created a connection. So uh, whoever was playing this game, you know, one, you're playing as this young girl with nothing to protect yourself but a camera and you're looking for a family member. But then there might be some piece of some ghost story you heard that you can make a connection with as a player and, and someone who's experiencing this story. 
And I think it kind of created, for a lot of people, it, it connected you in that way. Uh, it made the story almost personal in some ways. Um, you just feel like there's more at stake now. So I, I always wondered if that has something to tie that, if, if a lot of these, these creative game creators did add little bits of these stories that they'd heard or, or felt the experience or something you experienced, you know, and if that gives it that overall, you know, that allows others just to connect in their own way with it. I actually think that's a really interesting observation. One of the things um, Kaylee and I did an episode where we talked about Amityville horror. Mm. And one of the things that really struck us both as we were reading the book and watching the movie was that it didn't feel like there was a really coherent, this is the ghostly experience. I mean, it got over the top. Okay. And in some ways, it's uh, that wasn't quite written by committee the way it sounds like Fatal Frame was, but it sounds like there was sort of a similar process of, well, let's just take a whole bunch of ghost folklore, throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. And gave people like different elements that they could grasp onto, even if, you know, they couldn't get the whole thing. It, right. That's exactly. And on that same piece that I read, I, I remember the director himself told a ghost story when he was young about he would be at home and he would feel these presences that he, he'd said it felt like a procession in the street in front of his house. He never saw anything, but he felt as if there was these presences, a procession of presences moving along. And he said he experienced it several times, like a good five or six times. But how do you capture something like that? It's just a feeling. He didn't see anything. And that's kind of how this game is. How do you grab onto those stories where you know, it may not be some horrible werewolf monster coming at you, but it's more of a feeling. I, I think that definitely ties um, how they were able to capture those not as distinct stories and the bits and pieces, uh, almost using a presence, right, to, to kind of theme through the whole thing. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool, cool piece. There's a, uh, I'm not sure if he's a sociologist or an anthropologist named Dennis Waskell, who writes about uh, people's experiences of ghosts. And one of the things that he said is in the research he's done with people who claim to have encountered ghosts, it's actually very rare that they claim to have seen anything. Mm. Wow. What's very common, though, is they'll hear something or something that they can't quite explain will happen. Mm. Or very often, they'll simply have a feeling that there's something nearby, and then they interpret that as a ghost. And so what you just described seems to fit in with his classifications very well. Yeah. And it seems like if you've got a whole lot of different elements going on with a ghost story, having somebody else put it into a game or any media really could probably make you feel like, okay, I'm not the only one who's experiencing this. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of people I've met who were convinced that they were being visited by spirits in the night. And then when they learn about sleep paralysis, Right. Yeah. Okay. Sleep paralysis sucks, but I'm not alone. I'm not the only person this is happening to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, very often the fact that they're not alone seems to give them more relief than having a medical explanation does. Mm -hmm. And kind of going off with the, one of the things about the game, uh, for those who've never played a survival horror type game, you're playing a character. It's kind of your view is, is to the side, just over their shoulder. And the way, especially these early ones, including Fatal Frame, the way the story progresses would often be you're dropped in the middle of some place, you're slowly reading notes. Uh, so for instance, you would walk into this house, there'd be some crumbled paper, you pick it up and unfold it. And it's got a little bit of story, just a couple nuggets. And so it draws you in. So by the end of the game, it's become so personal. It's almost as if it's you who's experiencing, you who's learning about this horrible ritual that happened, seeing these ghosts. It, yeah, it's very genius. It's very genius in that sense that um, the way as the game progresses, it, it definitely becomes your story in a way as you're playing. It's a bit like how, uh, you know, if you've been playing a role-playing game, either online, like 
you know, World of Warcraft or something or a tabletop game for a while, it ceases to be a game at some point and becomes the story that you're enmeshed in. You'd said that there was a story you heard about the game itself being haunted, and you you briefly described that, but I'm curious, beyond the very brief description you gave, is there anything more to that? I heard that only a handful of times. I remember hearing it once at a used video game store looking around at games and I think I grabbed the game off the shelf and there was, I, I think it was a young girl at the time and she saw me grabbed it and stroke started a conversation with me about that. And then years later, I heard it from a close friend of mine. Um, you know, we were just talking about games. Hey, do you remember this game? Do you remember Fatal Frame? Hey, I heard that game was actually haunted. They, they said they'd put a ghost in there and then, you know, we all kind of laughed. That's what I remember most about that one. But I guess tying it into this, of the three games, the three big survival horrors, this is the only one I could really see that being tied to again the other resident was very much a game you know it's a game and silent hill was more of this story and this how to process the grief whereas this 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 had something else to it i mean is there more is this a ghost story is it based on that is there something involved and it reminds me of like creepypastas nowadays i feel like in some ways this was one of the first ones Mm -hmm. just sort of those stories tied to this but yeah i heard it on at least two occasions I can't remember exactly what, but I remember the young girl even saying, specifying a specific scene, like a scene near a church, something like that, that that was the one that, that supposedly was the actual ghost. Because there was more than one instance where you would find fight the ghost, it, several points throughout, you know, as you, as you progress the story. I think it starts on the outskirts of town, then you move through the graveyard, and then you move into the house, and, you know, the story gets thicker and thicker. And um, there was one particular scene that she hinted at, I, I can't remember for sure, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's neat how it's... Of those three, how this one has that urban legend sort of shadow to it. Well, another thing that you've pointed out is making this game unique, and I I suspect might feed into the uh, sense of it maybe drawing you in more, is in the other ones, you've got a gun, you've got a rocket launcher, you've got whatever. They're action games, and they may have deeper themes, but they're more standard video games in that you are a powerful individual. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, you know, when you play... Dungeons and Dragons versus, say, Dread or Call of Cthulhu, you know, in Dungeons and Dragons, you're a powerful adventurer. You can go and fight the monsters. And so very often you've got to do something different than simply introducing unnatural elements because, hey, you've got a party of adventurers who are used to unnatural elements. Whereas in these other games, you're just playing normal people that something bad happens to. And it sounds like in this case, you're a young girl Mm -hmm. with no weapons and that makes you vulnerable, which is a very frightening position to be in, but also one that will really grab at an immediate emotion in a way that, you know, a meditation on grief may not, however powerful it may be. Mm. You can kind of stand back and look at that philosophically, whereas this one's going to just grab you and make you scared right now. And you don't have the usual video game things to tell you it's a video game, such as carrying around a rocket launcher. Yeah. It does make me wonder if that might be part of the reason why people seem to get so attached to the idea that this game's story is important in a way that other stories may not be to them. Yeah, no, totally right. I mean, it just, it took a lot of those tropes and kind of set them aside. And, but by doing so, I mean, I don't even know how much of it was intentional. It, it connects with the player on just such a different level. I mean, you're playing on screen someone who is normal, who, who could be defenseless. And then that ties to you because on some level that is your avatar. And 
you kind of become that helplessness. And I'm expected to do this adventure, to do this thing, to uncover this mystery without things I would normally have to protect myself. And there is that connection on a deeper level that I think sometimes we don't even realize we, we sort of become that character. Um, and that was definitely part of when we played and we would have the lights off, you know, there'd be some of us watching, we'd take turns eating popcorn. Um, so it became that horror movie combined experience as well. Um, something that we, the three of us friends shared and, and would talk about even to this day. It was a uh, bonding experience. I, I'm assuming this is a one player game. So it'd be other people sitting around watching a person play it. Yes. But it could still be a bonding experience that you were all there together doing it. Yeah. And one of the things that we, we joked about it at the time, but this one was so intense that we would pass the controller. <laughs> so it was, all right, I'm done. I'm good. Your turn. And then, you know, take turns. Um, and it was one of the, the few games, you know, oftentimes when you watch games, it can be a little bit boring at times because, you know, this person is doing jumping or whatever that they have to do to get to the next stage. Whereas this one was a little more slower paced and you're moving and it, the whole atmosphere is part of the game. You, you know, is there something behind that tree with the mist that I can't see as a viewer that it, it, you're still drawn in? And I remember one point something happened, a ghost came out or something. And, and one of the guys behind me watching threw his popcorn and he screamed because it was that intense. You know, I've not with video games, but I have been in, you know, entertainment scenarios where you're trying to scare people, whether it be around a table or, you know, watching a movie or so on. And you get that reaction that it's, it seems rare to get that out of a video game. So I'm thinking this must have been a pretty remarkable game. It was pretty cool. And you know what? We, we, that made me think too, now that you said that. It reminded me, you know, we're talking about films, The Bear Witch, which was in similar time, but also around that time frame. So for those who are fans of horror movies, horror, I think more than any other genre, goes through stages. Mm -hmm. And there'll be types of horror that is popular for a little while and then it moves on to the next stage. An example is, I don't mean, there's a type called torture porn, which you're watching people like Saw, the Saw films, people get beat up or tortured or whatever. Yep. And there's different types, slasher films, you know, ghost films, haunt. But one particular time that was popular or one particular type of film that was popular at this time was the, the Japanese horror films. They started around 99, 2000 films like The Ring, so many, uh, Shudder. There was just all these really popular Japanese horror games at this time. And this was, if not a little bit before, right at that same time. Um, so that was sort of the trend. And this was a way to kind of experience those films because some of the same tropes came came up. But instead of just watching the film, you're actually immersed in playing and I think that that also um, added another layer that was very unique and interesting to this particular game. My thanks to James Tyner for joining me. As I mentioned earlier, I'd originally written about this site on my old ghost story blog, and the entry for Humuro Mansion became the most commented on of all the entries that I wrote for that site. It is interesting to me that the blog entry on Humuro Mansion received so much attention when, frankly, it was not one of the better entries on the site. I had to do a lot of additional research and clean up past mistakes to create this podcast episode. As I said in the discussion with James, the comments section for the Homero Mansion post was something of a microcosm of sorts of weird arguments that people make regarding claims that they really want to believe are true, despite there being no evidence to support them, or even in the face of evidence to the contrary. There were the people who were unwilling to do their own background research, accusing me of not having done mine. The people making frankly racist assertions regarding the superstitious and secretive people of Asia. The pseudo-profound ramblings of people who were trying to claim that the fact that this house has never been found is somehow evidence of its existence. The people who produced entertaining but odd stories about allegedly visiting the house. And, yes, the people who claimed that there was some sort of vast cover-up that would have included Google, 
several governments, and more than a few people and companies involved in software development. It was deeply, deeply strange. For most of the people who posted on my blog claiming that the story is true, it seemed to be partially a devotion to the game and partially a devotion to beliefs about the supernatural. Regardless, this particular entry seemed to get the passions up like nothing else on my blog, and I found that fascinating. I suspect that there is also another factor at work here. Many people here in the U.S. have a fascination with Japanese pop culture that is more about a desire to see Japan as a mysterious, exotic, and exciting place rather than the powerful modern nation-state that it is. While I've met several people who've genuinely become interested in Japanese culture due to an early interest in manga and anime, some even becoming social science scholars, I've met even more who revel in what they perceive as the exotic nature of Japan. As a result, they are likely to find the story of a haunted Hamuro mansion on the outskirts of Tokyo more important and interesting than, for example, an identical ghost story sent here in Fresno, where I live. Fresno is not exotic. It's not where the weird happens. I mean, there's the Fresno Night Stalkers, which will be a topic of another episode, but hey. But if you're from the U.S., then Fresno is full of people who look, talk, and act like your friends and neighbors. So a house in Fresno being haunted doesn't really impact your beliefs if you're invested in the idea of Asia as a mystical place. In researching this episode, I came across a discussion of how the ghost story underlying the game came to be. Apparently, the game developers shared ghost stories that they had heard, experiences they had had, strange dreams, etc., in order to create a world in which the game takes place, a process that Mr. Tyner alluded to in our discussion. What this means is that the story was created for the game out of various other stories and experiences. So no, this game wasn't based on a true story, but it is the product of an effective process for creating a story that was tailor-made to grab people's imaginations. All told, I'm fascinated by the fact that this story persists in the U.S., and I wish that I could read Japanese so that I could see if it ever drifted back over to Japan. It may well have, but it's equally plausible that Japanese gamers point to this as a sign of American gullibility. Regardless, the cross-cultural dynamics of the story are pretty fascinating. One final thing. I'm both amused and a bit befuddled by people who are swayed by a based-on-a-true-story label on a piece of fiction. What is it with people routinely falling for this line when it is placed on something truly fantastic? I have seen otherwise sane, rational people fall for really tall tales because they were supposedly based on a true story. My favorite example, though, is a cousin of mine who was convinced that the events depicted in the film Return of the Living Dead really happened because the opening screen of the film had the words based on a true story emblazoned across it. Something that I later learned was done purely because the filmmakers thought it was funny to put such a label on something so obviously absurd and fake. Maybe this has something to do with how we view authority and who is allowed to mislead us versus who isn't and why. But that seems like a topic for another podcast. For now, I'm simply going to say that just because something says based on a true story on the cover doesn't mean it really is. Special thanks to poet, librarian, and all-around cool guy, James Tyner, who was the first poet laureate of Fresno. Tyner's poetry has appeared in multiple journals such as Avatar Review, Coal Hill Review, and Transcendence, as well as anthologies such as New America and Best Contemporary American Poetry. He has worked in libraries for 20 years 
and has presented panels on his library work at CLA, ALA, and PLA. You can email him at fresnopoetlaureate at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me. If you have heard a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail.com. Also, please visit the Ghostthropology blog for transcripts, show notes, and more information at kmmamedia.com. That's kmmamedia.com. Until next time, have a wonderfully spooky night. Spooky!